Episode 45 of Fried Squirms is here with you right now. Here in Missoula, Montana. I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Damn, 45, son? Yeah, man, we're getting up there. Cool. We were just mentioning that, weren't we? Oh, God. Okay, so let's get straight to the point. This one's about Halloween 3 season of The Witch. Yes, it is. <sighs> and I'm excited for a couple reasons. I mean, outside of the fact that we did this film, but it is Hallow's Eve today for us. That's true. Not when you listen. Tonight. <laughs> so over the course of the past month, we or month and a half or something, we've touched on two of the films that I normally watch on my build-up to Halloween. So I'm probably going to skip over them tonight because <laughs> I've already watched them in depth a couple times very recently. But I'm going to do the rest of my movie marathon tonight. Now that I'm past this movie, <laughs> Halloween three. Yes, season <laughs> of the witch. Before we get too far into this, is there anything else going on? I can't think. I did attend a movie. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So just mention a, a brief thing about that. I know that you're going to throw something up on the website. Right. Go to our website if you want to read that. Yeah, com. But if you just want to give like a little, just a, a tiny synopsis. Barb. Yeah. Yeah. So I went Saturday night, October 28th, to the Roxy. Got to watch a 4K restoration of Dario Argento Suspiria. So I got to take that in here at the theater and had a good time it was a good transfer so i know like especially compared to me but just sort of in general too that like the italians are kind of your thing so yeah i do like the italians a lot so what was it like getting to see the argento awesomeness in 4k it was awesome the transfer of the film because i have seen the original i mentioned that to you Mm -hmm. uh, when i was in montreal so i've got to see multiple versions of the film different transfers what stood out was his use of colors and how stunning they really look in this transfer and the score from goblin so Mm. if you're a fan of artsy fartsy kind of stylish (laughs) films but with a hint of slasher check out suspiria there you go and i know that you're going to write some more yes written some yeah i'm still in the process that out Danny's bringing you some Suspiria action. Yeah. Uh, look out. The working title is going to be Postmortem, followed by Case Files. There you go. And that was at the local Roxy, right? Yeah, go right check here out the Roxy. Town. Help them out. They're awesome. Yeah, we support went your local there. community. Shit, I guess with that, let's get into... Our guts and bolts. The guts and bolts. Yeah, man. I want to get to the squealing about this movie, because I have a lot to say. I have a lot to say. God damn it. God damn it. God damn it. Okay, yeah, guts and bolts. <laughs> Guts and Bolts. All right, Guts and Bolts on this. Our 45th film into the entry of Fried Squirms. So I'm going to call this Parts of the Guts and Bolts because it's Parts of the Guts and Bolts of the show. Okay. But it's mostly because I forgot to bring it up just two minutes ago. There's one other thing that we should mention, and it's tomorrow, a week in the future from when you'll hear this, but the literal day for us tomorrow, will have been online for a year. We have. One year anniversary. That was a high five and me so, dropping yeah, that's my a phone. Good, uh, <laughs> no, that's that's really cool, man. I was mentioning that to a brother-in-law that, yeah, man, officially on the website and SoundCloud and everything else, it'll be a year. It'll technically have been a year tomorrow, but we have a different anniversary coming up that we're going to celebrate instead. And yeah, it's going to be fun. Trying to put together something fun for. But now into the guts and bolts of this goddamn movie. <laughs> uh, let's start with a synopsis. Good point. Okay, so synopsis for Halloween 3. A strange case leads a doctor and a daughter into a mystery company town. 
where evil and Halloween masks await yeah, with the Irish. Yes. Not with the luck, though. <laughs> but no, I think that's a good point. It's uh, Is that a good synopsis? Yes. And now keep in mind, it is titled Halloween, right? <sighs> but we'll talk about it a little bit. But keep this in mind that this is not a continuation of the Michael Myers story. No. Oh, God. And it has a reason for that. But mm-hmm. we'll... It has a reason. I want to get to the squealing on this. So I know what so you let's, mean. So let's talk about this. Okay. Um, who's in this? Yeah, well, let's talk about the director real quick, because he's heavily involved with, or he has been in the past with a lot of John Carpenter films. I think he mostly worked behind the scenes prior to directing this, which is actually his debut, his directorial debut. And we're talking about Tommy Lee Wallace. We had mentioned him earlier because we did the OG, the original It miniseries, that he directed in 1990. Oh, that Tommy Lee Wallace. Yes. I kept looking at that name. I'm like, you know, I don't need to click on that, but that seems so goddamn familiar. Why, yeah, so why that's does that seem familiar? That's something we've done more recently, so that's why it's... I was like, wow, that's kind of funny. Wow. It's Tommy Lee Wallace gave us this. And this is his directorial debut. Okay. And has, he uh, was the goddamn commercial announcer voice. Yes, he was, which is kind of interesting. There's a couple of those credits that are interesting throughout with voiceovers, I suppose. But he's known for kind of doing sequels to films. And I'll mention just a few real quick. He did Fright Night Part 2, the original one. He did Vampires Los Mortos, which is followed by the John Carpenter's right. Vampires. Right. Yeah, which is... The John Bon Jovi vampire. So he's he takes John Carpenter's sloppy seconds. Pretty much. He's like, Carpenter, I'm going to let you just ram your Carpenter dong in there. Yeah. Your big wood, or your big James Woods, talking about boners the entire time. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. It's boners upon boners with John Carpenter. And then Tommy Lee Wallace just is like a fucking... He'll go in there. He likes seconds. Toothpick down a hallway. <laughs> I suppose. He's <laughs> he's done some pretty interesting stuff, but no, his claim to fame really is working with John Carpenter, which a lot of these people will mention here soon. You'll find out they've worked in the past with him, but Tommy Lee Wallace, which is interesting too, gets credit for being the writer, because if you look at uncredited credits for the writers, John Carpenter helped a little bit with the writing, but it was mostly done by a British writer who did a lot of sci-fi. I wanted to bring that up for a very good reason. It very much makes sense that he's a sci-fi writer, though... I want to get back to that later, and the fact that there was definitely changes made to this movie, and you can tell what was his in this movie when you watch it, because this is two different movies. You can totally feel a movie within a movie, like you were saying. Uh, But Nigel Neal was responsible for about 60% of the script, the final script. He initially got signed on Dino De Laurentiis, which we'll mention a little bit. He wanted something a little bit more gory, a little bit more blood, and Nigel wasn't really down with that. So he left the project. John Carpenter and Tommy Lee Wallace kind of worked on it, and they kind of wrote some stuff in. So that's why it feels a little convoluted at times. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. At times. This movie feels convoluted at times. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This movie feels pretty convoluted most of the time. But, uh, I mean, okay, I'm sighing a lot. I actually did enjoy kind of watching this movie a little bit, but... I need to get to my notes, man. Like, there's so much shit I thought about this movie. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting for sure, man. No doubt. I mean, I'm glad it was recommended for these reasons, too. But, uh, yeah, a cinematographer is Dean Cundy, who worked on the original Halloween, The Fog. He worked on a sequel, Cycle 2. 
He also did work on Back to the Future, like all three of the films. He did cinematography work on the film Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which I thought was really cool. A Patrick Swayze film, Roadhouse, Nothing But Trouble, which is a great comedy if you're looking for that. And the film Hook, because of Nick Castle, who was the original shape. Did you just call Nothing But Trouble a great comedy? I love that movie, man. It's, Some people call it's horror. terrifying. <laughs> that movie is terrifying. <laughs> I mean, yes. <laughs> when you're a kid, for sure. But now, you know, as an adult. Yeah, I don't know why I was ever allowed to watch that as a child. Oh, I did. For, like, lots of times. But I, I did more times than I should have. Yeah. Which, and did you as a child, times? maybe, like, twice is far more than you should have. That shit is a wild film, man. I love it. Oh, it's so disgusting, too. Little devil. It's so disgusting, dude. <laughs> yes, it is. For a lot of reasons. Speaking about another terrible but good movie, really. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that was really cool, man. That he's like working on these fucking films, you know, after the fact. But uh, moving on, our editor is Millie Moore. She worked on a few films. I didn't really know them. Johnny Got His Guns, I think is an older film. Geronimo, stuff like that. A lot of TV movies. Johnny Got His Gun is based off of a book. And it's also, I think there's been at least two versions of it i'm not sure i might be wrong on that but that's like the inspiration for metallica's one no shit that's pretty cool she was an editor on the original one because i think it came out i want to say in like the late 60s maybe early 70s that film but yeah she's got a couple few credits john carpenter and adam horth were responsible for the music on this which the music is fucking dope i'll just go ahead and say it i like it I mean, John Carpenter, yeah. I mean, anytime he's involved with the soundtrack, you're going to get some good music. Did we already mention he's a producer on this? We haven't mentioned that yet, but yes. because of them. It's a part of his franchise. It is a part of the franchise. There was plans for this that makes it make a little bit more sense. But yeah, exactly. without exactly. doing that research, this movie makes no goddamn sense for why it's no, even called Halloween. if you don't have Halloween. a backbone at all, it's a weird entry into the Halloween series for sure. I mean, I'm going to say it right now. So, I mean, it's part of the guts and bolts of this movie is that we Michael Myers isn't really in this. No, not I, I don't want to go really. into the spoiler later on, but because there is kind of a tie. Mm-hmm. But part of the guts and bolts of this movie is that it was supposed to be the start of Halloween as like an anthology. Like there's all sorts of stories that connect to Halloween, which we kind of explored in Trick or Treat. Yeah, we did. Last week, I mean, Trick or Treat anthology, is yeah. a bunch of stories tied to Halloween. Exactly. Done right. <laughs> yeah. Done right, in my opinion, and this is just me squealing a little bit beforehand, is it should have just been its own standalone thing. I felt the same way call about it Halloween. Come up with a different name. Start a fucking horror franchise anthology yeah. from the mind of John Carpenter. I'm all about that. Yeah, it would make a lot more sense. Yeah, I'm not sure why they, they tagged... I mean, I do know why they tagged the Halloween to it, but <laughs> it was for different reasons in this film portrayed. So, yeah, I mean, if you clicked on this because you're like, shit, yeah, Halloween. Fuck yeah, I Michael never did Myers. see number three, but I wonder what happens in it. Michael Myers? Hell yeah, the scary face mask? Yeah, No, Jim there's masks in this. Oh, there's a lot of masks in this. There's a lot of masks in Shit's this. Shit's on them. Yeah, none of them are Michael Myers for a reason. <laughs> yeah, a big reason. That I hate. <laughs> because this never, the anthology never continued. No, not after this one. This was the one and done. And it's maybe unfair to judge it so harshly just because it's in another franchise. But, like, you do two movies leading up, Halloween, Halloween, both focused on this iconic killer that really helped, 
I mean, we talked about it in our slasher run. We let off with Halloween for, yeah, for a good an reason. amazing reason because that movie is fucking incredible and set up everything for the slasher. Yeah, that was a foundational film. And then you just do this. <laughs> yeah. After, and then, I mean, two, I haven't watched two in a while, I'll admit. But I knew that you didn't have to see two going into this, so I didn't refresh myself going into no, it. No, it's, it's not necessary. I think the only reason why it would be necessary is knowing the reasons why they filmed this film, not as a sequel of any sort, because this is definitely not a sequel, but like I said, as a more of an anthology telling, or that was its intended purpose. I mean, and the name and the couple drops in the movie just don't let you forget that it's part of this much better franchise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's funny, in a way, I mean, I don't mean, you know, to be sarcastic, but when Halloween 4 was made... In the title, it specifically said, Turn of Michael, Michael Myers. Myers. So that way there was no confusion about what you were going to get with that film. <laughs> and, you know, it was, I mean, in, in a weird way, it's like, I understand it. In, a, in another sense, it's like, I understand why this film was made, too. Just unfortunately had the Halloween sign attached to it. Mm-hmm. Outside of the fact that John Carpenter And maybe it's unfair just because it has the Halloween to judge it so harshly. But I agree. It sort of shoves it in your face a couple times, too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it can't help it when, like I said, when you look at the fingerprints all over this. Mm-hmm. But I, I did want to mention Adam Horrith because we were talking about John Carpenter scoring the film. He's worked on some pretty cool shit, man. He did some music work on Army of Darkness, which oh. ties back into Bruce Campbell, of course. Stargate, which I love that film. Nice. Yeah, it was really cool. And then a few of the John Carpenter entries, like the movie Christine, They Live. In Big Trouble in Little China, which is, I'll go ahead and say, is one of my favorite Kurt Russell films, probably ever. And uh, written by the same guy that did uh, Buckaroo Banzai, which, another amazing movie. If you haven't go see it, go watch yeah. it. Yeah. So, right now, please. A lot of cool Buckaroo references. Buckaroo. Yeah. Not <laughs> horror, sorry, but go watch Buckaroo Banzai. But sci fi, which does kind of tie into this. Yeah. Should we mention, I guess, we didn't sort of mention that part of it either, is a lot of people, I think, don't automatically. Think about the fact that sci-fi can very easily be horror. Oh, no doubt. I, I think we've touched on that a couple times in other episodes, but I think horror brings to mind immediately certain images. And even if people have watched sci-fi horror movies, they usually think of them not as being a horror movie, but as being a sci-fi movie because right. it incorporated certain elements. But, I mean, it's, it's just a crossover. Sci-fi horror right, it's is a, a blend. Thing. And this one is definitely sci-fi horror. I would agree. Whole Harley, I mean, when, without getting too spoilery, I just want to point out that this one's sci-fi horror. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, that's that's a perfect moniker for this film. Rather than the supernatural horror that you get with, and that's the other thing, it's a giant tonal shift from the rest of the series it because is. you get supernatural horror rather than sci-fi horror with right. Michael Myers. Absolutely, good point. Anyway, <laughs> no, that doesn't give you a, a good feel of what you're going to get yourself into with this film, heavily influenced by sci-fi, slipping into horror. In the back door, maybe? Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> All right, special effects and makeup, because I do want to add makeup department. Okay, yeah, yeah. Now, I didn't write down any companies. I wanted to name people, but I don't know a lot of their projects. I didn't want to get that in depth. But uh, moving on from that, Thomas R. Berman was responsible for the special makeup, and Ron Walters was our makeup artist on the film. John G. Bellew was our special effects person on the film. And William Aldridge was his assistant. Sam Nicholson was responsible for the Silver Shamrock commercials that are played throughout the film. 
and John C. Wash is responsible for the opening title sequence, which is pretty fucking dope, too. So what was the name of that guy that did the commercial again? His name is Sam Nicholson. Okay, I'm putting out a hit on Sam Nicholson. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> putting out a bounty, which we'll talk about. Which, All right, this is a little bit spoilery, but I'm going to go ahead and mention it. The jingle in the those London commercials. Bridge. Right. The reason they chose that is because it's public domain. And right. I, I figured that had to have yeah. been. And I think they said that um, Tommy Lee Wallace was like singing like fucking just crazy lyrics, you know, in that, that jingle. And that's where they came up with the ideas for the commercial and the film. I <laughs> hate it. Oh, man, they play it a lot in this film. They play it so much in this film. <laughs> yeah, I didn't keep a counter, but I knew there was quite a few times I played it. And it was a few, I mean, like, probably I, I think a dozen or more. I took my notes this week in a very interesting way, and we'll get more to that here in a second. But one of my first notes is actually a goddamn commercial. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right off the bat, man. Batman. <laughs> and it doesn't get any better. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, we'll talk about that for sure. Producers, you want to guess who's a producer on this film? John Carpenter. John Carpenter and... <laughs> Deborah Hill was a right. big influence. Now, the reason why she's a big influence in this film is because John Carpenter and she both worked on the original Halloween and the sequel. And they said they did no longer want to have Michael Myers because, like, in the second one... They finished him off along with Loomis, so spoiler, sorry if, if you haven't seen the second one. So that's why there was a shift in this film. And she wanted to bring the digital age to the subtitle season of The Witch. So she wanted to bring witchcraft and the digital age together. You said before, 60% of the script yeah, is... Yeah, the British author, sci-fi writer. In that case, I would say her producing influence is felt very strongly in about 15% of the movie. And it's part of what makes the movie slightly nonsensical. <laughs> yeah, it's true. But as soon as you said that, bring to the digital age, like that ties in very closely with some notes I took towards the end of the movie. And I'm like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Like, this yeah. is a little bit of like too many cooks. Oh, man, that's funny you mentioned that. Somebody brought that up this week. I'll mention it to you later. She did some pretty cool films, she had, you know, production-wise. There's a few I wanted to mention because they were big influences for me in the 80s. She was a producer on Big Top Pee-wee, Adventures in Babysitting, the movie Clue, which oh, involves... Who's uh, great. Tim Curry, mm -hmm. all kinds of other actors, actresses. And the film Dead Zone. I mean, she's done all kinds of others, but those are the ones that stood out to me. It's like, you know, sometimes you can forgive people for certain films <laughs> when they have that underneath yeah, the Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I overall, like... Like, I would recommend people watch this movie at least once. I'm going to get, oh, yeah. that. I'm going to get that out there right now. Like, as much as I'm going to groan and bitch about this movie, because <laughs> I'm going to fucking bitch about this movie coming up here. Right. Um, I've already started bitching about this movie. But I would actually recommend that people watch it at least once. I want to get that yeah. out of the way. I want to say that completely right now. It's enjoyable at least the one time. It's entertaining for sure, man. It's not complete shit. I will admit I had a hard time getting through the second time. <laughs> I can understand. I can understand. Uh, <laughs> At least so close in a row. Maybe if like I watched it once two months ago and once today. It's not one of those movies necessarily that you want to watch like consecutively days and days and days. It's like, I need a break in between this film a little bit. But I would recommend people watch it at least once. Like I I do think it's that good. Like it's a good recommendation. Like you should see it. You should see it. It's got some Just, interesting stuff in it. Yeah, there's interesting thoughts in it. 
it's just not quite all there. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Production companies. I mentioned uh, Dino De Laurentiis' company, which they were also responsible for the show Hannibal, right? Or at least he was, partly. Uh, but that company is the copyright holder to this film, and Universal Pictures are also a production company. Mm-hmm. Distributors was mostly Universal Pictures. They helped release that 82 theatrical release here in the States. MCA, which I think was like a, I'm not sure if it was a subdivision or a branch, but they were responsible for like releasing a lot of the VHS, DVDs. Good Times Home Video eventually brought out the DVD. Universal did Screen Factory, which is also, I think, Shell Factory. Oh, okay, uh, yeah. They did the updated Blu-ray copy, which has a really cool fucking cover. I'll give it credit. It's got a badass cover. I actually watched the Blu-ray copy. I did too. It looks good. Yeah, it I looks mean, good. it looks really good. So they did a good job. Budget for this film was a little around two and a half million, which is a moderate budget, not a high budget. But it's compared to, I guess, the rest of the franchise, it had the lowest return. Did we mention what year this came out? What year did this come out? I didn't look that up. Eighty-two. Okay. Right. Now I was thinking about the time that it came out too. I wasn't quite a year old yet. I was around. I mean, I wasn't even born yet, so I was around. <laughs> I was. Probably shit my diapers, but <laughs> the film grossed like fourteen point four million, which I think is a good return on a two and a half million dollar budget. It's not a great return, but I mean, it didn't fall flat on its face. Right. It made a little over uh, like six point three million in its opening weekend, which was uh, October twenty second, nineteen eighty two. Yeah, and it was also released June 9th, nineteen eighty three, in the United Kingdom. I'm curious. What do you got for your tagline? Yeah, man, I actually got two. One, which I think is the title, or at least the, the main tagline for this film. It's The Night No One Comes Home. Uh, I don't like that one. It's for, simple, and it's you have to play back on Halloween. Yeah. On the, I, uh, on the night he came home. Right. I still, just based on what part of the plot had to entail. I kind of like this one. This one's a little bit more yeah, badass. I'm, I'm a little curious bit more what the doomish. second one is. The second one is The Three Periods. And now the earth will run with blood again. It's like, that's kind of like that. I like that one better. <laughs> that one makes a little bit more sense for what partially, like, the plot's actually about. Yes. The major plot, yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. Okay, so that is mostly the, I guess, the behind-the-scenes crew. Let's talk about the cast in this film. So Tom Atkins, Dr. Daniel Chalice, I guess, is your main character. Certainly is. He's our protagonist in this film. Uh, kind of looking like a bloated Geraldo Rivera. Yeah, man, he's... Uh... <laughs> Sorry, fucking Tom Atkins, but I uh, couldn't shake that thought. I'm like, Geraldo. <laughs> Little bit. <laughs> it, what's funny about this, man, and, and it's a part of the spoilers, too, is his mustache and what it does to people of the opposite sex. Yeah, apparently. So his character, he's the doctor. He's also a part-time inspector. (laughs) (laughs) Slash on the verge of being a full-blown alcoholic and a a deadbeat dad, apparently. Yeah. uh, And a bit of a womanizer. That's what I was getting out with that mustache. Yeah. um, It's lady killer. And kind of a a forward dick about it, too. Yeah, he don't give a fuck. (laughs) It was the 80s. He didn't give a shit. I do want to mention just a quite just a few films that he's in because he's been in some really cool shit. Yeah, I did notice. He that. made a pretty cool quote when they were interviewing him. So I can't remember what year. I didn't look up the year. Not that it matters, but he said that he would have been comfortable if his entire film career were in horror. Like he said, he could have happily been just a horror actor. Main reason because he's worked on a lot of John Carpenter films. 
He worked on The Fog. He worked on Escape from New York. New York. Yeah. He was in Lethal Weapon. Uh, I can't remember his character in that. He was first approached to be Mel Gibson's character. I can't remember his name in the film, but the reason why is because there was a writer that was Wait, involved. he was approached to be Riggs? Yeah. No shit. And the reason why is the guy who wrote the script for Lethal Weapon worked on a film. I'm not sure if it was this one or like maybe the first. It could have been The Fog or Escape from New York. One of those films. But he was uh, working on it, and he worked with uh, Tom Atkins, and they developed a friendship, and he later on wrote the script for Lethal Weapon. That's why they wanted to cast him as Riggs. But it went to Mel Gibson, and he wound up being, I think, like their sergeant or some shit. So the thing is, Shane Black was the writer. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I know that because he's continued to write just amazing things. Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang. Yeah, look at some of his older projects. I don't know if he wrote anything before Lethal Weapon. I think that was his first written by, at least, you know, that he has credit on IMDb on. He might have worked as some other role before It could have been, yeah. But but if I remember right, like, Lethal Weapon was... That script was a big deal. Like, I don't think before that point in history, any other script had sold for as much money as it did. No doubt. I don't know the full story on that. I know that listening to other podcasts, I've heard it be brought up a few times that that script, like, it kind of ushered in a new era in a little way for for writers and and scripts being able to get thrown around, and especially with how well the movie did and how well it's still received. I mean, people can hate fucking Mel Gibson all they want, but people (laughs) still talk good about that movie. It's a great film, man. I mean, if you like action, it's fucking dope. Danny Glover wasn't too old for that shit. Right. (laughs) At that time. Tom Hopkins, you know, we're talking about anthology in our previous episode in Trick or Treat. We talked real briefly about Creepshow because of his anthology telling, but Tom Atkins was an actor in that. A film that was done by Blatty is The Ninth Configuration and the cult hit Night of the Creeps from the 1980s. So he's involved with, like I said, a lot of really cool horror films and John Carpenter films, action films. Moving on from Tom Atkins, Stacey Nelkin would be our female protagonist in this film, and she plays Ellie Grimbridge. I feel like most of her character is the studio trying to keep slasher elements in it because of Halloween. Final Girl and all that stuff. Yeah. She did a lot of TV work and like just part-time little gigs, Mm -hmm. whatnot. Apparently she was like the last minute cast for her part. Like they had a bunch of actresses come in, read the script. Nothing was working. She came in. They were kind of blown away. I can imagine why. And anyhow, she's like on the way back to her home, she got the phone call. She's like, normally after you do a script reading, it takes a few days, maybe a week or whatnot before you actually get a phone call. She's like, she got it right when she got home and she got the part. And I believe they were like filming two days later. That's how fast it was. But anywho, some of her future films she was in were Bullets Over Broadway and a Danny DeVito and... Tony Danza film, Going Ape. I guess that's when a lot of, I want to say primates were popular in film. <laughs> that was weird, man. Like, there was a stretch, probably from like the late 70s and 80s, where you'd see orangutans and chimpanzees. And it's like, man, I mean, not there's anything hey, like that. I love shows about our a man cousins. and his monkey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, there was even a Clint Eastwood film with a monkey. It's right, fucking right turn, Clyde. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on, man. I mean, so anyhow, she was in a film with that. 
She does a pretty good job in this film. She's decent. I'll put it that way. We'll mention some stuff later on. <laughs> I guess our antagonist in this film, our main baddie, is an Irish actor, which is appropriately cast. I'm talking about Dan O'Hurley. He plays Connell Cochran. Also film. known as the old man in RoboCop. Yeah, he did some really cool better movie that he's in. Here's a direct connection to our town once again because of David Lynch, but he was cast as Andrew Packard on Twin Peaks. Oh, right. Yeah, which is really cool. He got cast because I think John Carpenter and Tommy Lee Wallace were a fan of his from a show back I think in the '60s, The Man from Uncle. Oh, he was on The Man from Uncle. That's cool. Yeah, he was also in The Last Starfighter, which we're talking about sci-fi a little bit. Check out The Last Starfighter if you haven't. That, that film was awesome. Who else is in this? Is that all? I mean, No, there's some really God. cool... I mean, there's... All right, there's a couple names I do want to mention. I mean, Jamie Lee Curtis right, she does an uncredited voice. She does a couple of voices. She's a phone operator, and she does the curfew call. Right. Okay, that's a cool connection, I suppose, because... Of Halloween, so that's one tie back in. Here's a second tie back in. People might miss if you're not paying attention. She's throughout the film, but this is Nancy Loomis, or she goes by Nancy Keys now. But she plays Linda Challenge, which is the ex-wife of Tom Atkins' character in this film. She's the one with the kids, taking care of the kids. The reason why oh. she's a connection because during that time period, she was actually Tommy Lee Wallace's wife, and she was pregnant at that time period. She was Annie in the original Halloween, which was the sheriff's daughter, which oh. was like Jamie Lee Curtis is one of her best friends in the film. Gotcha. The one she gets with. Right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So that's her tie back in, right, to Halloween. That's another tie back in. Uh, coincidentally, like I said, it was Tommy Lee Wallace's wife at the time. Garn Stevens, she plays Marge. She's like a lady who's briefly in the town. She's a part of the motel oh. where there's a misfire. Right. That's as far yeah, as I'll yeah, say. Her. her name is Garn Stevens. The reason I brought her up. Her, her shop's in San Francisco. San Francisco. Look me yeah. up. She is the first wife of Tom Atkins, so they were married at the time of this filming. Oh, okay. Yeah. Huh. Interesting stuff. So there's a couple of weird <clears throat> orgies going on in this film already. <laughs> the cast and crew. <laughs> Here's a kind of an interesting character, briefly. Our nurse Agnes is uh, Mady Norman. She's one of our, I would say, a, a, <laughs> a direct approach from our doctor. She gets... Wait, which one was nurse Agnes? She's the main nurse in the beginning of the film, in the hospital scene. She's not the lab worker, though. No. Oh, no, okay. No, no, no. She's, she's the... the yeah, yeah, she's the other one. Okay. Al Berry plays Harry Grimbridge, which is the father of Ellie Grimbridge in this film. Wendy Westberg, which is Teddy, she's the lab worker in the coroner's office. Oh, okay. Yeah. She's another one. <laughs> Essex Smith is the gas station attendant, Walter Jones. He actually has a, You're, another... you uh, just hitting all the winners right in a row right now. Yeah, yeah, man. I had to mention them because he does a really quick... Like, there's a baseball scene in the film. In some ways... He lends a voice, too. In some ways, these two people that you just named, and at least one more that I'll point out when you get to them, mm -hmm. it's kind of saved the movie. Yeah. In my opinion. There were some good moments with them. Okay, yeah. So, that he was the, the, guest. the gas station attendant? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Here is a direct... Oh, time. I'm thinking of somebody else, not the gas station attendant. I'm it's thinking okay. of the hotel. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I direct high in to Halloween 2. After Nick Castle played The Shape, another guy played The Shape in Part 2. And this gentleman is Dick Warlock, which he has one of the best names, I think, ever. He's the ass-ass in Android. Yes, in this film. And he is The Shape in Halloween 2. 
So that's why he was cast in this film. Oh, okay. Good for him. Yeah, we'll mention him. There's an orange juice scene. Ask, I'll talk about it. Um, there's a really cool person in this film for a couple of reasons. When we were doing our vampire stretch, there were some vampire films that got brought up. And there was one potentially I was thinking about doing, which we might get to at a future date. But there is a child actor in this film. His name is Joshua John Miller, and he plays Willie Chalice. Not that it makes a big difference in this film. He's one of Tom Atkins' little bastard children at the beginning of the film. Oh, okay. So he's in okay. all of like 15 seconds of the movie. If that. All right. That's what I'm saying. It's not that it's a big deal in this film, but later on, he was in Near Dark, which is a badass okay. vampire film. So when I was considering... He was in a film I brought up, I don't know how many times, but The River's Edge because oh, of Keanu Reeves right. and Chris Glover, some others. Whoa. Yeah, he's in that film. He's a half-brother of Jason Patrick from The Lost Boys. Oh, sweet. Yeah. And his dad is a famous actor for a very, very, very big reason. His father is Father Damien in the Exorcist franchise. Oh. That's his real life dad. Sweet. Oh, that's dope. Yeah, I was like, what the fuck? And then I saw him in some other credits. I was like, hold on. That kid? He's not a kid anymore. He's, yeah, he's not that kid anymore. But, I mean, he was that kid in the 80s, for sure. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, so I was like, I want to mention him, because that's a fucking, that's a really cool credit. Damn, okay. Yeah, I think he's won some awards as a child and actor and stuff. He's got some really cool credits, man. So, oh, and he's in... Uh, Teen Witch. He's in the Wizard of Gore remake. <laughs> yeah, I did see that, too. Like, 2007 one. That's cool. Yeah. Well, I probably watched an episode of Wonder Years he was in. He was that kid back in the day. Who else do we got? We've got Michael Curry as Rafferty. He was the guy who ran the motel, Motor Lodge. Okay, that's who I was thinking of. We, uh, when brought up the gas station attendant, I was thinking of uh, as Michael Curry instead. <laughs> he yeah. He's something else in this movie. <laughs> Is he? <laughs> that's for sure, man. There's three other people I suppose that we can mention, and it's part of a family. It's the Kupfer family who are part of that motor lodge and a part of a tour later on in the film. But Ralph Strait plays Bud Sr., J.D. Barber plays Betty Kupfer, and Brad Schachter is little buddy in this film. But that kind of rounds out the cast, man, for me, unless there's some other people you want to talk about. No, I mean, I think I got to about all of this stuff that I want to get to. Um, <laughs> I want to get deep into this. Like, I want right. to talk about shit that happens in so this movie. So we're getting close to the squeal. I want to talk about how it made me squeal. We like, have to give uh, some warnings, of course. Warning. Okay, so what do we have for warnings? There's some brief nudity. Brief bush. Uh, nudity. There's some language. There's uh, some pretty good gore. I there mean, is some good gore in this. There's not. It's not a lot, but no. there's the scenes that it's there. It's good. It's like really good. Actually, I'll, I'll give it that. There's a little bit of violence, of course. Yeah, I mean, and there's Halloween themes. Go fucking figure. The Halloween's in the goddamn name. Once again, we talked about this last week. If you don't like the Halloween at all, what the fuck are you doing listening to us? <laughs> and what are you doing watching this film and listening to this film? If you don't like Halloween, what the hell's wrong with you? Uh, I think, yeah, I think that's about it. Can you think anything else? No. Um, witchcraft. If you don't, if you're not comfortable with that, but is there really witchcraft? Oh, no, but you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> if you don't like the digital age, <laughs> yeah, I guess. If you're in... <laughs> Sorry, you're living in it. I mean, if things that are even just vaguely technophobic trigger yeah. you i guess i said so, yeah oh my god i'd be hard pressed to find that person <laughs> then what are you doing listening to a podcast <laughs> <laughs> you're an anomaly we want to meet you i know i think that's it let's get into the fucking squealing yeah man, i'm ready squeal 
How does that make you squeal? We're squealing once again. We are squealing. So now that we're 40 minutes in the podcast, maybe it's time for a little backstory as to why we chose this in the first place, in case you didn't listen to our last episode. We kind of slammed this movie a little bit. I can't remember which episode. Oh, probably several. <laughs> now that I think about it. It wasn't one specifically. Like, there was a few I know we mentioned. We kind of slammed the movie a little bit, and we got called out on Facebook by... Uh, Mark One of our most avid listeners, Mark And we both sort of ended up just sort of turning to each other and being like, he's got a good point. Haven't watched this movie in a long time. Maybe I don't remember it that well. Maybe we should give it a re-listen. I totally agree. Do it on the podcast. Why not? Let's do it for the show. That'd be fun. So we we decided to do it for the show. (laughs) All right. You know, we have to play the devil's advocate every now and then too, right? The thing I will say about this film in its defense, is that it is an entertaining film. To me, it was. It was entertaining in the oh, fact... no, it's entertaining. ...that I like chases, and I like that whole aspect in general. I think most of my quote-unquote nightmares involve being chased. Actually, I like nightmares. But, uh... <laughs> it's weird. But, anywho, this film, huge departure. We've mentioned that, too. That there's really no direct tie-in to... Michael Myers at all outside of like the people we had mentioned that were involved in the actual Halloween films. I am also going to frame my thoughts and my notes and the way I took them a little bit for myself too. This was how it made me squeal and possibly my experience will help tie into how I experienced this film, I guess. (laughs) Maybe make my thoughts a little bit more clearer. Maybe you'll say that I should watch it again (laughs) in a different state of mind. Being that this is the fried squirms, uh, we've talked about this before. My usual viewing for the podcast is I'll view once the night before and not take any notes, just let everything Hell dry hit me. Right? I mean, that way. And then the next morning when I wake up, I'll get some food. And while I eat my food, or right after I eat my food, I'll do my second viewing and take my notes with that one. Usually start off my notes with whatever thoughts continue to brew throughout the night. Yeah. And then, like, the finer little details that I get to notice on that second time through. Which is cool, because it's keeping the movie fresh in your mind. So, my first viewing, I was also coming down off acid. (laughs) (laughs) I got to hang out with Sid. My first viewing was earlier on in the week. I, you know, got a copy of the film, Blu-ray, we talked about, and... I was like, you know what? I'm not going to take any notes. I'm just going to fucking watch it. And that's what I did. I watched it. And I was like, all right. I got an opinion of what I felt in the first impression. And then usually, too, I'll watch it the day of recording. Usually in the morning, I'll make breakfast, have some coffee, and take my notes while I'm eating breakfast and drinking coffee. And maybe listen to a couple of behind-the-scenes stuff. And that's you know, keeps it fresh in my mind. So I'll admit, being true to being a fried squirm, my mind was altered Although it was far more towards the normal side, especially because it, I didn't take that much to begin <laughs> with. I was expecting it to be stronger, was trying out some new stuff anyway. <laughs> Having fun. It still felt good, but I really, it wasn't much of a trip so much as I just like was super couch bound with a little bit different thought processes, <laughs> but right. it wasn't anything special. And then I was coming down from that and I was far more towards the sober side. But, I mean, things are different. That's how I experienced the movie the first way. That being said, I didn't take these notes until the second time through. After that first viewing, 
as I was taking my notes, it immediately occurred to me that there was only one way to really figure out how I was going to write this down. And I actually just made it a pro and con list. (laughs) And (laughs) that's awesome. You can kind of look over at my notes here. Here's the pro side. Yeah, man. It's not looking too good. Here's the con side. Right. And that's more notes that I've took for any movie in like the past four months. (laughs) Well, you know, it's fair and it's honest. But that being said, as I already said in the Guts and Bolts, I do think this movie is good enough to watch at least once. Yeah. It's a little bit more in the so bad it's good category. Which I, I would I say is probably fact, why it's yeah. been, you know, talked about on, like, how this get made and stuff. Oh, well, but. absolutely, man. When considering, like I said, it's entry into this franchise. This specific franchise. And so I hope you'll forgive if my notes jump around quite a bit. I don't know what quite you oh, decided man, to take notes on. I'm a fucking nerd, dude. I'll, you know, I'll take notes throughout the film. I'll kind of go in in order but we don't have to do it in order that's right that's the point. these do go in order they just jump around a that's bit okay because it was just i can help you we the can little things as i was going through because we already gave the synopsis for this yeah. movie and it's pretty easy to follow for the most part it's pretty easy to follow it just we'll touch on that <laughs> well, well yeah i know what you mean i know what you mean so pros the thing that i noticed on the second time through mm-hmm. and so i had to put an asterisk <laughs> straight from the beginning because i didn't notice it the first time they do set up the stupid fucking Stonehenge thing from the beginning. They do. It's easy to miss because I totally missed it all the way until the end. And I was like, mm, I remember there was a program some point in the film. I couldn't remember who watched it. But now I, you know, second time watching it's like, oh, there it is. But you're right. There is a huge Stonehenge tie-in to this film in a weird way. Oh, I guess before cool that, way, though, though my first con, the first note I took was I hated the super long... First off, this movie is another one of those movies that's probably at least like 20 minutes longer than it needs to be. Oh, yeah. It needed a theatrical release, apparently. So you're right. <laughs> yeah, it did, it did have its I mean, even moments. I mean, you could still cut it down 10 minutes, though, and get your yeah, hour still, 30. Yeah, exactly. Rather still get than the hour 40 that it is. I was thinking that, too, taking the notes. I was like, damn, it's an hour 40? It does feel longer than an hour 30 for some weird reason, but it does. But there's a long fucking cold open where you have no idea what's going on, a terrible on-screen death with the fucking, I guess we now know, android getting smushed between the cars. Yeah, that was the the very first death, right? You just get this guy getting chased eight days before Halloween, Saturday, October 23rd. All right, so that's our time frame. Some, what do you think, maybe in his 50s? Yeah. Some guy getting chased for we don't know what reason by some dudes for whatever reasons, dressed in suits. By the way, you probably don't know going into this movie, especially the first time, without doing research on the internet like you can yeah. easily do these days, that it's supposed to be an anthology movie. You're thinking exactly. Halloween. Yeah, I mean, it would make sense leading up to this point in the film. Nothing's tipped its hat otherwise. So... Like I said, maybe a little bit unfair going into this, knowing there's no Mike Myers, judging it like there should be, but it's got fucking Halloween in the title. Yeah, dude, that's what we're talking about. And so when you're going through this for the first time and you're just trying to like... Understand it. Or you're just hoping that there's some sort of good callback to Halloween. You're like, how is this going to tie to Mike Myers somehow? There's never a tie. (laughs) Not necessarily, no. It's mostly just long and confusing because first off, it's a terrible death and it doesn't seem like he... It is weird Maybe because the car horribly just rolls injured on and dude. pinned, but at the speed, I wouldn't think instant. Yeah, death there was a, there was no velocity involved, just a slow roll. That <laughs> also that also got my first pro. Yeah, the El Camino. 
I like Al Caminos. And that was what he got squished against. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) It was the 80s. They were popular. I like me and Al Camino, and that's what he got squished against. Yeah. That eventually leads up to that guy who was getting chased going to the gas station at 10 I was talking about. This is where that Stonehenge part comes into play, because he's watching a program, and it mentions a stone was stolen (laughs) off the site of Stonehenge, and it was the, the 19th stone that represented the moon cycle for 19 years or some shit like that. Anyway, weird story. And you don't think two shits other than that, just a program. The guy runs up, tells him they're going to kill him. He passes out. The guy drives into the hospital, and that's where we get to meet Daniel Chalice, Tom Atkins. My next note skips all the way ahead to when that guy is getting killed by the assassin. Right. They check him in. Because that was a pro for me. That, I thought, was pretty cool. And here's a... One of the things, my well, I'm going to skip over Chalice okay. real quick, just because I said my notes jump around a lot. And, no worries. And I, I feel like I'm a lot more critical of this movie. That's all right. Uh, God damn it, I just have to say this shit. I have this voice, this platform on the internet. You're yes. all listening to me. <laughs> the kill was cool. The fucking squeeze and, like, I thought it was neat because, like, he drops the mask to the ground and the way the assassin like pulls out his face. Yeah. Obviously the way it looked was because of the effects that were used. But to me, because it looked not quite real, it also reinforced the mask idea. Like, Oh, it, it changed his face into a mask. Like that's kind of cool. Like, yeah. I mean, I get like pulling out of the bridge. Of the nose was cool, but I don't see how like that was the last straw. You know what I mean? But, and the little death twitch. Yeah. <laughs> But you're right. That's where Nurse Agnes, I was talking about earlier, she walks in, she sees it, she screams. There's a chase. And then this is where the second, well, third death comes into play. Self-immolation. I skipped over Chalice because the thing is, my next two notes are goddamn commercial. Yeah, which is our favorite. And my first con this early in the movie is fucking Dr. Chalice. Well, yeah, right. actually, you're right, because before he gets to the hospital, he's with his, his kids mm-hmm. and his ex-wife. You're right. That's his first. We don't even know who the fuck this guy is. All I know is that he's a fucking deadbeat dad. Yeah, he gets them the shitty masks. They already we, got the bad We just masks. got out of that stupid, <laughs> that long cold open. Yeah, exactly. And suddenly we're supposed to be following this womanizing deadbeat dad. Who got his kids some shitty masks. Although, all things considered, <laughs> that's probably the best thing he did for him this entire movie. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Everything else was, we'll talk about. But you're right. He looks like Geraldo. Yeah. The thing is, I actually, I started writing, don't care, as in don't care about any of the characters, <laughs> but intrigued, only because suddenly dude fucking self-immolated with gas. Yeah, you're like, what the fuck is going on? I was like, I'm going to keep watching, because that's intriguing, right? but I don't care about anybody that we're following yet. Not yet, because you don't know who to latch on to. We, I mean, we as an audience, there's... It's like, what, what's going on exactly? Well, how is this Halloween? <laughs> right, and you're like, what, maybe 10, 15 minutes into the film at this point, I would think? Yeah, maybe even... Uh, dude, that cold open was kind of long, so... I know the intro. Like, I, I do like the synth opening and the... Dude, the music's great through Digital pump. Like, that also helped keep me in, was... Yeah, the John Carpenter a, is, I mean, is boss, dude. Great. I listened to it on the way over here. Then skip ahead to the fucking lab worker. Okay. Because... I couldn't decide whether there are a pro or con. And that first time through is that's when it first started to click in my head. And I was like, something was crazy here. And she reminded me immediately of Dolores Herbig from Dead Like Me. 
Christine Willis that we right. talked about in Trick or Treat. And, I mean, we talked a shit ton about Brian Fuller and Dead Like Me and no shit doubt. and the Hannibal episodes. It reminds me of her character, who is supposed to be, like, a joke on that type of character. Except her joke is more middle management, but they're applying all those tropes to, like, a lab worker. Down to just her dumbass fucking speech patterns. <laughs> she was the, the trope before there was a trope of her, I suppose. And I was like, okay... And, and something started to click there. And then I was immediately pissed off because it's not too soon after that that you get Halloween on the TV. Yeah, exactly. There's, I'm trying to think the first one is like, I'm not sure if it's a commercial introduction. Yeah. It's like a... You see Michael Myers coming down the stairs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's it. It's just a commercial. And then it cues back into that kid's commercial for the masks. And then they switch it back to a baseball game, which the gas station attendant is the guy who's doing the voiceover commentary for the baseball game. He runs into... Uh, I wrote it down as a con because I, at this point in the movie, because I didn't care is, about any of the characters or anything, I was like, why would you show me the movie that I like? Yeah, I mean, that he's like, oh, there's Halloween right there. Yes, oh, look, finally. There's, and also I was like, oh, so now knowing that like John Carpenter is involved... Right. And I mean, I knew right. that going into it anyway. Like, I knew he was a producer on it, and he worked on, on the soundtrack, right, right. and he exactly. he had some sort of say he had in a heavy it and everything. Hand in he had a hand in. And now knowing that it was supposed to be an anthology, like, I see what they're doing, and that's cool. Like, it's just a way to build this weird, cool meta world. That's awesome. That's only if you do the research and realize that's an anthology. Otherwise, what it looks like and what it hit me as on a gut level from watching other movies is it reminded me of like the jaws poster in the hills have eyes oh yeah, yeah I know like that was horror we're bringing you what horror really is and <laughs> yeah. especially with it being on tv as a movie it's like no 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 that's <laughs> movies we're gonna show you what real horror is and i'm like mm. i don't know that death in the beginning sort of didn't convince <laughs> me on that yeah the rolling car squishing. I mean, now I know that. I mean, but on a gut level, just watching it bare bones that first time, I was like, sense. I'm not sure. Like, it pissed me off because I'm like, are you calling them out? Like, <laughs> yeah, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Are you I mean, calling them out or are you reminding me that at this point in the first movie, I was way intrigued by what was going on? Yeah, it is a weird misdirection, too. It's like, I, know, I understand what they were doing. You know, it's like, hey, this is John Carpenter, and everybody was involved with Halloween. It's still Halloween, but not Halloween. <laughs> and then my next note doesn't come for a little bit more down the way, right. so if you want to fill in. No, I guess in between that, there was one thing. We talked about the fact that Tom Atkinson's character is a bit of a womanizer. Mm -hmm. The first hint of that is his interaction with Nurse Agnes, because she, like, you know, I guess they were wanting to take a little nap break or whatever. And he's like, I should have married you. I guess he talked about his wife and all this other stuff. And he winds up, like, pinching her on her butt. Oh, yeah. He goes... She's like, hey, mister, he I play for keeps. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, damn. He got away That's with that. Damn, Harvey Weinstein. Yeah, he... <laughs> he got... Yeah, damn, Daniel Chalice. Eventually, he starts flirting a little bit with... We talked about Teddy, that lab assistant at the coroner's office. They have a little weird thing going on. And then the main female protagonist is Ellie, who we learn is the daughter of the guy who got brought into the hospital with the mask and was triggered because of the commercial. And it was weird how 
now they meet at the bar. And what I mean, they were talking about Tom Atkins and Stacy Nelkin's character. <laughs> and it's like, she asked what her father said. He's like, oh, tell Ellie I love her. <laughs> and then he's like, he tells her the truth. He's stone cold about it. But then they start having this weird romantic relationship. I was about to say, I feel like everything involving them, I feel like everything involving them together, especially towards the beginning of the movie, I don't believe her character was completely added in by the studio, but I feel a lot of their relationship and everything, how they interact towards the beginning of the movie must have been the studio wanting it to be more of a slasher or Tommy Lee Wallace wanting it to be more of a slasher. Well, I I did mention briefly that Dino DeLorenzis, he wanted to be a little bit more gory. Oh, yeah, so that's a studio, yeah. Yeah, so it was definitely studio. Because all of their stuff seems really awkward and sped up. Yeah, And like it's done just to add in a couple little extra story beats here and there to keep in different... romantic. To keep in different situations towards the beginning and to just like stretch time too i don't know (laughs) (laughs) i mean this is this is interesting dynamic that they do have in this film because it's a weird introduction that the only connection they have is that he was on duty when her dad came in and died he tells us the story they go investigating so the rest of the film involves them investigating what their dad was doing they suddenly just become the fucking hardy boys right (laughs) yeah well i mean she was on the hunt but he's like Oh, he was definitely on the hunt, if you know what yeah, I mean. He was, yeah, I guess <laughs> they were both on the hunt. Yeah, they were. They found what they were looking for. <laughs> but no, you're right, man. It's just like their whole relationship was sped up because they were looking for a dad. They wound up going to that town. They learned that it's making these So that's masks. my next note is her quote on the way to the town on the, the voiceover <laughs> on the drive. Right. Is Irish Halloween masks? I didn't do the line justice. Her line delivery indicates that... The indication is that it's weird that the Irish would celebrate Halloween. Yeah, precisely, man. It's like, hold on, wait a minute. We just got done talking about Samhain. (laughs) Which ends up becoming a major theme in this movie, too. Yes, it does. Like, where does that stereotype... And his response is that he agrees it's weird. Yeah, it's fucking weird. Like, no, he's like oh, out here in california you never know or something like that i can't yeah, remember we're but... like fucking light years apart bro <laughs> but i'm like okay so like <laughs> crazy that's not i mean no the, that's, the that's irish weird. stereotypes i can think of do not include halloween not for me not liking halloween oh shit <laughs> oh damn this is gonna sound fucked up because i am irish a little bit is uh it's like when i think of i mean outside of saint patrick's day i think of fucking leprechaun the movie it's like that's completely halloween bro what are you talking about right so i mean like i said it's her line delivery and his response i'm just like why would you think the irish don't like halloween why would they not have a halloween mask company that's kind of racist that's where colin cochran down on hurley comes in he sets the fucking record straight. I mean, much later on, I'll get to that. But he does set the record straight with how the Irish are involved with Halloween. But you're right. The whole drive into it, they find out that their dad was like, like trying to get these masks for his store. And they found this weird ledger where some time was missing and it mm-hmm. led to that town. Well, here's something that's really cool about this. I didn't know this until I started doing a little bit more research. But Tommy Lee Wallace was like a huge fan of um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the original one. And so a lot of these scenes are kind of tie into that film, well, and including I, the town's name that they go to. Did he say 
I was reading and from one of the interviews, I think it was, he said it's pod movie, not, or the writer that said it's a yeah. pod movie, not a slash movie or something. Exactly. Like that. It was the writer. That's why he kind of dropped out. He's like, mm, you guys went in a different direction than I wanted it to go in. Okay. Yeah, that's right. But it, that's very true. Even to an extent, a Stepford Wives movie. Oh yeah. No doubt. Especially when they go extent. into the town. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's where you get these weird tonal shifts and like, we kind of know why they wanted to go in the direction they went in. <laughs> but there's too many cooks. Uh, so here, them getting into the town, I will say, for all the bitching I've done so far, right. I had to write down two big notes of the hotel owner and the family. Yeah. It clicked for me. I'm like, this movie I can get down on because now they brought the camp in in a big bad way. <laughs> yeah. And like I said, it started to click with the lab worker who comes back and a couple other phone yeah, I mean, and she, she and she continues her to be her, and they continue to be them every time you see <laughs> them, and it makes the movie so much better for me, and it turns it to the so bad it's good, and there's some other good things in it. There's right. good ideas throughout this movie. I like this movie not that much. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're getting that. That whole motel scene. This is where it kind of kickstarts what we're talking about that relationship scene, right? You're right. They go into the town. They find out that it's too weird to go inside the factory. They need some more information. They stop in at Rafferty's, that weird little fucking owner. So they they get wait. <laughs> the here's the thing. Lodge. They get to the town, and she just sort of sits down in the hotel room. He walks out, runs into everybody else. Yes. All in a row, and they're all exhibiting their huge personalities. Yeah. He turns around, is completely right. stressed out by it. Yeah. Goes back into the hotel room, immediately exclaims that he needs a drink, and then starts wondering about their sleeping accommodations for the night. Right. They haven't actually even started to do a proper search yet. Just because they got there, she's like, oh, no, it's cool. We can slow down. I don't care about my dad that much. Let's start boning. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it is weird. It is, like, weird. And he even, when I say he, Tom Atkins mentioned, like, the line that he was reading for that script, like the one where she's like, uh, where do you want to sleep, Mr. Chalice? He's like, that's a real dumb question. <laughs> and he said he ad-libbed that in because when he read the script, he's like, that is a really fucking dumb question. He's like, I mean, come on. Come, you know? come on. Exactly. Come on. <laughs> but that's right. It's like, all right, now they're boning. Okay, we get it, I get but the funny thing, too, is we mentioned that one of the characters... She's, wait, she's been the main drive. Right, right. She hasn't even set foot outside the hotel room. No, the only... Well, kind of. <laughs> kind of. She gets her bags carried in from oh, the guy. Oh, that's right, and, while he runs off. And, yeah, and we do get to see a real slow drive-by of Connell. He's like, oh, there's Mr. Cochran. So that's kind of weird. Like, right after that, they're bowing it. <laughs> The lady who almost hits wait, Atkins... Not this is only wife. are they boning... <laughs> She's keeping him in bed and keeping him tired out all fucking night. Oh, yeah. Eventually, she's like, well, he's like, aren't you tired? She's like, no, I never get tired. Something to that effect. She's like, she's a nympho. <laughs> he goes out for a little midnight stroll and to check shit out. Mm-hmm. Doesn't he run into a, like a like, local drunk? And he's another one that I had to put on this barrier. Because you'll see some of my notes that go on the barrier. Yeah. That's the so bad it's good notes. I know what you're saying. He's one of them. He's the worst exposition character oh, because he tells the dude what's going on, basically. He knows exactly what's going on, yeah. But he's drunk and mad about it, and 
he knows exactly how much surveillance is in the town, and he just starts yelling out to get fucking... To literally get caught. Yeah. He's like, by the way, I'm fucking telling him everything. This guy right here... This dude, fuck you guys. <laughs> I'm going somewhere, because I don't have a home. Uh, but you're right. Although it does remind God me of... It. Part of the reason yeah. it was so bad is good for me, because it, it did hit a little note for one of my favorite... I don't know, maybe Guilty Pleasure movies. I don't know if it's a Guilty Pleasure. I'm not too guilty about it. It's one of those movies that I really, really, really enjoy, but I would never put actually on my top ten. I'll take excuses to try to <laughs> still find ways to watch it. little known movie called The Caveman's Valentine, Samuel oh, Jackson. Oh, I think I remember you mentioning that to me, yeah. He plays a, like a, a dude that I think he like hears voices and shit, and he's basically living as like a hermit in a fucking public park in New York and he thinks this guy's spying on him from the tower and he'll yell at him sometimes I see you Stuyvesant I see you but but like a murder happens and he helps solve it that's pretty awesome and he used to be like like well-known concert pianist and stuff because he's like a savant yeah I need to watch that again I mean it's a super fucking good movie but we're talking about Samuel L man the dude kind of reminded me of that. The, I see you, Stuyvesant. Yeah. But at the same time, he was the fucking worst. He's like, I'm telling him, by the way, he's probably already listening to us. <laughs> I know. I like how he approaches him, too. He's like, I saw that your bottle was a little heavy. I don't have any diseases or anything. I'm cool. <laughs> Let me hit that. He's like, oh, by the way, do you have a dollar? <laughs> oh, my God. Damn. I know, right? Drinking my liquor. I mean, but, uh, you know, he he has a little story. He little did story. get another pro for me, too, in the way he got killed 30 seconds later. Oh, When man. a couple of the droids come up. Rip his And I head. started laughing out loud because he's down on his knees, and it looked like they were lining him up to make, like, a fucking circus seal. Yeah, you know. Ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> and even the way, like, it pans out and the way they're sort of, like, jerking his head around between them. Yeah. Kind of looks like they're making him give him head. Oh, they totally got some or, head. Or, you know, yeah. <laughs> Oh, they well, yeah, they got some head, but I <laughs> laughed really hard. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, make like circus seal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was funny how quick he got in that position, too. Like, all right, boys. And then, okay, so we already talked about it. It's after that that you get the fucking her trying to get it on with him some more once yeah, he gets takes, back to bed. Oh, there is a scene. <laughs> like, you don't see this very often anymore. I'm talking about some shower scene, action, oh. and there's like the little green bush that pops up. <laughs> Like, that's kind of where they put this in. Now, here's even the weirder thing, is one of their first scenes, literally on set, was that lovemaking scene. So they had, like, a brief introduction, and then they go to the, that. Which lovemate, like, when he's on top of her and starts this Well, there are various. Because <laughs> that seemed really, like, stilted and kind of wooden. I, I, like, you just lay there and let Tom suck your tit. <laughs> what the fuck? All right. But nothing about the movement, oh and God. that seemed very like they were into it. <laughs> or like, oh my God! Hi, madam. I'm gonna I'm gonna pull this titty out. Uh, I'm gonna move my head over. God damn it! Please cut! Please cut! Please cut! <laughs> and action. <laughs> yeah, I. But you're, it's it's so weird that it's like, what does it got to do with anything, man? And you're right. Like, aren't you supposed to be looking for your dad? <laughs> It's like killer and all this other shit. But it's that second time around <laughs> where, where, when she's trying to when he, <laughs> when they're moaning again. 
when he, when she's trying to initiate round two, <laughs> he throws in the weirdest line in the world. Wait, how old are you? Oh yeah, it's like I'm old enough. Don't worry, <laughs> older than I look. Don't worry. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> well, you know, the, here's another thing about that. And commercial. immediately, my boner went down. <laughs> <laughs> like damn. <laughs> well, mine got ruined when the fucking song came on. <laughs> he's like, God damn it. Even he's like. I'm getting tired of hearing this shit. But you're right. But here's here's the thing I wanted to mention. Is while they have that bone session, like number three or whatever it is, his real wife life who's playing Marge next door, she finds like that emblem, that little trademark button on the floor. This went on my pro list. Yeah. That was pretty fucking dope. But she winds up fiddling with it with a bobby pin. She now, sets it I, off. Now, I hated that it did a fucking laser or whatever the fuck it did. Yeah, this weird beam of light or whatever the fuck. Just make it explode. Yeah, because that it would the, make more the, sense. Them, yeah, because that didn't make any sense. Like that, that raised more questions immediately in my head. Like, what? Even if you're playing with ancient technology, <laughs> that's not how it works. Just make it fucking explode. Well, there are examples of that later on, which contradicts what we saw with her. <laughs> Major contradictions. But the result was dope. Went yes. Immediately on my pro list, her blown out fucking face. Oh, it was fucking dope. Yes. Was. Fucking and cool. Here's something too that that's and, some of the better gore we've seen. That was really fucking, in nice. my opinion. That's a huge like highlight to this movie. And then you get the insect that crawls out. And what I was going to mention too is that plays a big part later on in the film too. We find out it does foreshadow sort of the effects of what's uh, to come. Maybe mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Real briefly, what I was going to say is that his wife, like I said in the in real life, Marge, the one mm-hmm. who's got the face blown out now. It's like how I wonder if they how they shot that if they like shot the scene separate and then you know cut it back in in the film. But it's like I'm gonna bone this actress on this side of the studio while you're on that side getting your face blown out. <laughs> We're both gonna have a blowout. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's fucking weird, man. And knowing that she let him suck that titty, <laughs> she she was cool with it, I guess. <laughs> so my next my next note was just oh, a shot gosh. that I really liked, but I don't remember how far in the future it it's actually okay, comes. Let's go. My next note is that I just loved the shot of the five silhouetted androids in silhouette. Yeah, about to come at them. That was fucking dope. I was like, look, that's cool. That's scary. Yeah, that adds to the atmosphere. That's still kind of sci-fi. By the way, we've went real sci-fi by this point in the movie. Yeah, I really like that. It kind of felt a little X Fileish for me. Mm-hmm. I guess that whole part too is. After that woman's face got blown out, you know, a little bit later on, well, the company came. comes to take yeah, care. Yeah, it. It, it was the company took her back Don't to the factory. Don't say paramedics because their van. There's not even paramedics. Silver Shamrock novelties <laughs> on it. Yeah, <laughs> they're taking that bitch back to the factory. He makes the mistake of telling them that he's a doctor, and he's like, "Oh, you better shut the fuck up, dude." But anywho, that's what gets them they don't in make as many mistakes back. as most other horror movies. No. They're just because it's not like a slasher or something where mistakes get you killed. It's a drawn out trying to make points about shit that we're not going to quite follow through on <laughs> no. here a little bit. Connell gets, I think that's the first interaction they have with the bad guy, I suppose, in this film is Connell. And he's like, no, she's going to be safe. But that's when later on, where they get Ellie, kidnap her ass, start going after Tom, that whole robotics guy. So at that point. My next note wasn't actually about anything that happened in the movie. Right. It's that I was sitting there watching it, and I knew that it was an hour and 40-minute movie, and I was trying to decide on whether I wanted to go to the bathroom or not. <laughs> but 
I was like, oh, there's only got to be about like 10 or 15 minutes left. Like, I used to work at a hospital. I can hold it that long. Yeah. And so I paused it, and we were only 55 minutes in. And I still had another 45 minutes to watch the goddamn movie. Yeah, like, fuck. So I immediately went and took my piss. Yeah, no shit. Because it's like, we got a little bit of a long haul for this one. Um, I was going to say, I think I missed a big fucking section. It was the fact that they eventually go on that tour, and I think it was before they get abducted. So... I had some thoughts about the tour, but it's not things I want to talk about yet. There's something I want to get to at okay. the very what end that I'm jumping over. Okay. No worries. But you're right. You, you did say we are going to jump around a bit. But the tour wasn't bad. I kind of liked that. One thing I did like about that, and I'll just mention briefly, is uh, the company that made the masks, Don Post Studios, those were actual masks, like real masks that they were making in that factory. So some of the shots were done on their studios, but some of it was done like in a milk factory for, the, I guess, the factory scenes. But yeah, those masks were made intentionally. A so bad it's good part that I wrote down next was the fucking, where's the girl? And then going and shaking the grandma and it's being a fucking robot. Yeah. Especially because he just bursts in, like sees a frail old lady she doesn't answer him twice. It's weird, too. She's and he knitting. immediately gets physical. Also, obviously doesn't have actual human... Very rigid. Not, not even... Mannerisms wasn't what I was thinking. Oh, what even is features, um, too, for features. Like an old lady. <laughs> she was buff. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, her... Frame. The ratios of to her frame and everything, yeah. like, it was completely unrealistic. And he asked the question, like, twice, maybe three times, and then shake, shake, shake. That's weird because he's a doctor on top of it. (laughs) You're not supposed to be shaking people. And it was around this time, we get a little bit more Cochran. Connell Cochran. We get a few more scenes of him almost directly afterwards. And it was something I was noticing throughout the movie. But it was during this point that I had to make a note of it. Was that not just him, but him, Chalice, or Chalice. What's Chalice? I can't remember anybody's fucking name in this movie. (laughs) Chalice, the hotel owner... I think just about everybody in this movie, at least once, delivers a line not to anybody. They sort of deliver it almost at camera to us, almost. Almost like they're trying to break the fourth wall. But they also, like, interrupt what they're doing for it. Like, it doesn't seem natural in any way. And some of the characters it makes sense for, but not all of them. (laughs) Yeah, I know what you mean. They don't do the uh, Zach Morris timeout and then explain it. (laughs) It's like they can't interact with something and talk at the same time. Yeah. They have to do one or the other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is weird, man. I kind of do like his character, though. I mean, given the fact that it's, like, it's weird at first. You know, wealthy business guy from Ireland. But we find out that he likes practical jokes and was known for like some of his old gag devices or whatever. And then that's what got him into the mask oh, business. I wish I would have wrote... Did you write any of those gags down? Because there was one of them where I was uh, like, what He was the known for sticky toilet paper? He was known for sticky toilet... I uh, like are, that. Aren't sticky we all? Sticky toilet paper. That's an amazing novelty gag idea. Yeah. There was a different one. What was the... I can't remember all the, of them. I should have wrote like, them down. Like Tripping Dwarf or something? Yeah, it was, they had some interesting ones for sure. I can't remember all of them, though. You know, the classic gag involving dwarves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I, no, no comment. <laughs> because <laughs> there, there's some bad stereotypes for that kind of stuff i hope you don't mind i'm going to jump around no there's no worries because it's, it's as you get more scenes with connell towards the end here especially now that fucking what's her name's been captured and stuff. yeah ellie eventually gets captured as he's doing his walk around and showing off his grand plan because he does do that kind of like oh, a bond yeah. villain and shit <laughs> yeah there ends up being from this point through his final scene 
he throws out a lot of kind of like half ideas, in my opinion, that it seems like they had placeholders and then didn't fill in the rest of the idea. <laughs> yeah. I wrote down was some of these. Was he hanging lanterns? Well, part of it was the fact that it was just... So I'm going to skip ahead a little bit, being there's the it's fucking okay. Stonehenge shit and all that. Yeah. And this is where they start to set up the fear of the digital age. And he has a couple lines that directly address that. And he talks about when dude brings up witchcraft, he's like, oh, it's not so different. It's just the way that we controlled nature. It's not so different as it is now, which would be referring to science. And then you have like the computers all set up and as he brings them into the room and they're just joining the old ways with the new ways. And in the end... I guess the monitors become the new sacrificial circle. And that's what it would appear to be, right? Right. They were combining the old ancient technology of the Henge with the digital age of computers to form that circle. They never even make up any techno babble. Uh, no, they don't. To pretend to explain it. He just like, oh, you wouldn't believe it. And guess leaves we, it off. Yeah. <laughs> guess what we stumbled upon? <laughs> Fucking computers. When he's like, oh... Well, as, even as they're heading down there, he's like, oh, I'm not going to give it all away yet. You still have time to figure it out for yourself. <laughs> and you go down, and you Ta-da. see the you see the <laughs> yeah. lith from fucking Stonehenge. Yeah, that was alluded to so early in the film, did that little stupid program. And he goes, can't you tell? It's a sacrificial ring. First off, no ring. Yeah. It's not even a like- big stone. That's it. Yeah, there is no ring. I mean, it, it was a part of a ring. He's like, sacrificial ring. And then he's like, Stonehenge. Like, he's supposed to know. It's only one lith, not even the three like people would associate. It's just one. The pie signal. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. it's not even the pie sign. (laughs) It's just a single stone. Yeah, that's And he's like, Stonehenge. You're like, get the fuck out of here. (laughs) Which is funny. I've been to Foamhenge. It's in Virginia. Goddamn. I've always Lexington, wanted Virginia. to just because oh it'd gosh. probably be cheaper than going to actually Stonehenge. It was awesome. Don't get me wrong. It was fucking great. I had some good times there. But yeah, I'm like, that's... All and right. That was one of my notes. I was just kind of like, fuck you. If you're going to make it Stonehenge, make yeah. it recognizable. And don't have him, oh like, gosh. admonish him. Even Spinal Tab did a better job of it. <laughs> Although, for me, that was also a little bit of a pro because... Stonehenge is pretty big. Oh, yeah, no doubt. So the fact they that they could transfer actually, all those stones yeah, over. The fact that it was big was like, that was cool. But he's just like, you wouldn't even believe how we got it over here. It's like, no. Nothing. <laughs> yeah, and then he just leaves you with that. And he's like, we haven't even unlocked all the mysteries. It can do this. I don't care. Just give me the techno babble so that he's pretending yeah, yeah. to explain. Give us a little it. backbone so we can understand. Even if it's something you're still pulling out of your ass. Yeah. Don't just leave it with like, oh, you wouldn't even believe it. You'd, you'd never guess. <laughs> I mentioned earlier, he gives a little speech, too, of how the Irish are connected to Halloween. And he talks about, while you, you know, let your kids wander around and at beg for candy from strangers. He's like, we were in Ireland thousands of years ago celebrating i guess the day between oh that was a that was his funny little speech with his with Sawin, yeah it's not just his accent because i oh, listen to lips it's changes i listen to a lot of shit from over that way hear all of the different accents for the most part i can usually tell what was he was just sort of he gets a little low in his breath at one point and it took till the second time to realize he said uh our celtic lands mm-hmm. and i thought he said our catholic lands <laughs> oh, no. and i'm like Sawin catholic 
Not quite, buddy. <laughs> yeah, not quite. This is interesting what he said. This is Dan O'Hurley. He says, when I use my Cork accent, he says, like, I usually do it because I'm trying to be serious. He says, unfortunately, this film wasn't too serious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's, he wanted to, you know, of course he's Irish, but the whole point was, is he was trying to give him the reasons why the whole fucking blue stone was there and the technology and what you just were mentioning, but he tried to tie it back into Halloween. The oh, whole reason why the they were celebrating. And, on the family. Yeah. And poor kid got it good. I don't get the spontaneous generation of bugs, but ancient that's something, ancient man. technology, that's like whatever. Fucking, I was I'll thinking it. it too. It's like, all right, maybe it's it goes back to Samhain somehow. I'll buy it, <laughs> but it seems sloppy. Weird. It was weird. It's like how, how and does then all this shit pop up a mask. <laughs> how long does it keep coming out? Do they just keep spawning? Is that it? Does it continually get worse? Because at first it was just bugs, and then eventually the snakes keep coming. And... I might tie back and they love some Lovecraftian stuff. <laughs> Is there a portal we don't know about? Because, like, what if Dad was just really good at snake stomping? Yeah. Stomp out some snakes. <laughs> I don't know, man. It's weird, dude. And Mom appeared to die of fright before anything got to her. Yeah, she Because even was, at the end, out. there was only some spiders kind of around her. I mean, I understand the fact that the commercial triggers the mask and... All yeah, that that's technology. cool. Whatever. We, we understand that. that, but and I don't even care but, that the bugs are generating. But it just seems just sloppy. It's out of place too. I feel. I feel like it didn't really pertain to anything in general. I mean, I understand the concept. It's cool. but It's like yeah, but it's, it's like, what does that have to do with the film? It's, it's got to do with anything. Yeah, it's not necessarily one of the cons. I didn't actually write it down in my notes. Even it's just yeah. I, I felt like we shouldn't skip over the fact that they did get experimented on, and that's how you know what's at stake. I yeah. guess. I mean, they tipped their hat real briefly when old chick got her face blown up. That was my other huge up, and my last big up at the end of this movie is after they show that, they have the little montage of how many kids out there have this mask and them going out to Halloween and shit and stuff, and all those shots and the way it was shown, it was really spooky. It actually brought the atmosphere back down. It was fucking creepy. You sort of realized what was at stake. That was very, very, very well done, in my opinion. Yeah, that made a lot more sense to the reason why perhaps this film was called Halloween. I mean, of course, the whole lead-up was to Halloween Day, but that made it feel more authentic, having the kids out with the mask on, trick-or-treating and whatnot. It was then, I was let down, though, because then the lab worker gets killed with the drill to the side of the head, and they didn't show shit. And that was a letdown after the fucking face blow out. I thought you could, they could show me a fucking drilled head. We don't have a budget for that. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, considering you're right, man. It would have been awesome. Could have been awesome. All my other notes are a little bit more general, so if you wanted to talk about how the movie ends, that's fine. I My second time through, I didn't watch the last like, no. 10 minutes. I'm like, I know how it ends. You made a good point. It's like This film is weird in the sense that somehow we're supposed to be following a doctor who just so happens to moonlight as a detective or like the, because weird, he's man. after fucking pussy well we know that <laughs> just like at first we don't know that we, he just looks like a deadbeat who just so happens to be a doctor that doesn't make sense he's and an the alcoholic stakes are only time. really established towards the end and it's yeah. one really well done shot but yeah it's just that whole weird buildup of character itself it's it does feel very rushed and you can see where the script was passed off several times but my other problem, though, was just with that, too. So, whatever. You're the most popular mask maker in the entire United States. <laughs> yeah. However, that montage still showed that there was still maybe, like, one kid with one of those masks in every group of kids. This is one of my big problems with this movie. Your plan <laughs> revolves around getting kids to come in 
on Halloween night. Yeah, I don't want to. When they can be out getting free candy, and presumably to maximize effectiveness, they would bring their groups of friends with them. Otherwise, (laughs) it's not actually a threat that they're out with those groups of friends. Those groups of friends are going to stay out getting candy, but they don't have those masks, so they can't win anyway. Yeah. So at most, those kids get their parents. How many of those kids do you think even go watch the thing on Halloween night? That was the whole point. I mean, I, we understand the fact they were playing that commercial repeatedly and repeatedly, and that was their, their gimmick, the advertisement, and pumping out those masks and, you know, what have you. But you're right. It was like, I'm not going to go home and fucking watch some stupid-ass bullshit commercial. Well, like I said, when I can get some candy. Fuck that. The other problem is it seemed like they were relying on the local programming. It wasn't a simultaneous broadcast across the nation. Mm-mm. Not at that time, for sure. It was running after a horror marathon, but it was the equivalent of stay tuned after the five o'clock news. <laughs> yeah. For Not the big giveaway. Right. It wasn't the equivalent of this airs at nine PM Eight Central. Uh, <laughs> nine PM Eastern. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where nine PM Eastern means that it's gonna be this time here, this time here, this time here. Exactly. Whereas four different time zones. So as soon as it islands, hits on the yeah. East Coast, people are going to know what's happening, and it's going to get pulled across the other three time zones. Oh yeah, before it becomes a domino effect, yeah, people would catch on and wouldn't know. What's because going on. it seemed like they were relying on the local programming. Well, it, it does show it's nationally, but you're right; it does rely on it. And it was funny how <laughs> towards the end, where he makes the phone call to those the three the, stations, I'm like, fucking really? <laughs> like, how does he have these phone numbers, and who's this operator? How is this working? <laughs> and this is right after he had a fight with Ellie, which is like this weird reveal at the end of the film, too. I was like, what the fuck, man? He was boning a robot the whole time? <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I did kind of oh like the... Gosh. I kind of liked the twist. I, I understand it. was kind it. of... I knew it was coming, though, after they showed her on the table. She got super quiet and stuff. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, that was a big tip-off to me when she wasn't saying anything on that drive all the way into the car. And then she attacks him, and then he gets that fucking tire wrench out, and we find out she's a robot, and she keeps attacking him. The arm attacks him, she attacks him. It's like, come on, really? <laughs> and it's funny, because I think he feels that way, too. Reason being, he actually had fucking walking pneumonia <laughs> while they were filming. So I can imagine he was getting attacked. He's like, come on, guys, really? Okay, and so the other thing, the other half-finished idea was <laughs> this was a trick on the children, and yeah. it was a sacrifice... Because there hasn't been one. In 3,000 years. And the world's going to change, but they don't say how. Mm-mm. We don't know how. They don't say how many is needed for the sacrifice. Yeah, it's just the United States. All you really learn is he's just kind of pissed that people don't know the history. I don't know, man. It he is... doesn't really give any reasons that he's doing this right. Yeah. Or the way it will affect the world. Just that he's doing this to try to make something happen. Yeah, it's, it is weird. You're right. There is, you don't get that answer, that final answer. If you went through Blade and he beat Steven Dorff right before he became... Or the movie ended right before he became the fucking blood god. But they never explained what it was. Yeah. You're like, well, okay. That's why I say that. I think this film, for, for a lot of the reasons that we're pointing out, gets labeled the way it gets labeled. It's like it's a weird entry. A lot of answers don't get resolved. It feels very convoluted. But like, so there's some aspects of it where I can understand where, why it's cultish, too, is because there's, you know, it's it's not a bad story. It could have taken place any other day of the week, I suppose. It didn't have to necessarily be on Halloween to be effective. 
I mean, I understand the whole mask and everything else too, but it's just like it felt like a a chase sci-fi wrapped into so it, slipped a, into that horror realm. The big thing I wanted to mention on the sci-fi thing was that this movie is more enjoyable when I replay it in my head. If I make one big change, mm-hmm. I turn it into a Doctor Who episode. <laughs> yeah, and get rid of the title Halloween, mm-hmm. and I replace Chalice and the chick with David Tennant. <laughs> Here you go. If Billy Piper is Rose. It's kind of like a Cyberman. I'm, honestly, you want a good version of this? <laughs> I'm sure one of the Cyberman storylines ends up being really close and is better done. I wonder, this is just me thinking out loud, I wonder if, if Rob Zombie would ever do a Halloween 3 season. <laughs> <laughs> he would use Sherry Moon in that role. But I'm not sure. going to lie. I mentioned, <laughs> so one of the other things is this is another movie where they... I can't remember which other one we did it, but I know I brought it up before, where there's a lot of just, like, weird... The camera holds on a person's reaction for just, like, a second long. Right. Like, they'll say something, or they'll react to something, and you'll see the reaction, and then it'll just continue to hold on them for a second. And the guy that especially does that is Cochran. So if you replace the fucking doctor with the doctor, David Tennant... (laughs) Yeah. And you replace the weird silence there with a quip, then that long drawn out reaction makes sense for his character, and it makes him seem a little bit more like whether he's deigning himself, whether he's going to respond to like his quip or not. Yeah, a lot of like the sneaking around the factory, you do it with a little bit more flair, very much like the Doctor, how he sneaks around different shit to try to figure out things. This is a decent Doctor Who episode at its core. Which is really funny because the writer of this really didn't like Doctor Who. Really? I didn't know that. He wrote for a different... uh, We mentioned he was a science fiction writer. And he wrote for a few other shows that are pretty highly acclaimed. I can't think... I've never seen them. Quartermass was like... Quartermass, yeah. yeah, Which is a a big inspiration. Stephen King's influenced by Quartermass. Mark Gaddis, who writes Doctor Who, is influenced by Quartermass. Yeah. He felt the Doctor Who ripped off some of his storylines. <laughs> I don't know when he died, though. He might not have even seen some of the new Who. Because I feel like some of the newer Cybermen storylines are better versions of this story. They do kind of like pod horror in a way. And I would imagine that everybody's ripping off Hubbard at some point. <laughs> L. Ron Hubbard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just fucking around. <laughs> but no, it's that is interesting, man, because I wouldn't have thought that would be another tie in, into Doctor Who in general. But we bring that up a lot, man. As I was watching it, it kept thinking, uh, I have a few notes throughout this where yeah. it's just like, this would be really, like, I've seen things like this in Doctor Who. This is a decent Doctor Who episode. If you just tweak some things, you fill out some things with even just stupid techno babble. You don't even have to give it a super light-hearted ending, but maybe lighten it up a little bit. Like, the way I could see it going with the Tenth Doctor and Rose would be like, the androids are doubles and you find the other doubles somewhere else. That way yeah. you can have her turn on him but still save her in the very end. That sort of thing. But Yeah, I know what you're saying. It, I wonder how rushed this film was, too. Like, you know... They wanted to do it in an anthology film, but there was too many hands on board, too many directions they were pulling in. It just felt like it was kind of rushed. I mean, I understand it was Wallace's, you know, his debut and whatnot, but some of the things I do want to mention that I, I liked, I suppose, about this film was the stuff you were talking about, the sneaking around and then being chased, and that felt more like, all right, this is more like a thriller. Some of it just seemed too long to me. Like there were a lot of those um, drawn out. Though, him right? breaking out towards the end and like going and finding her. 
I fast forwarded through a lot of that. You can because it's just like, yeah, this is filler. In those scenes that I like, you were talking about the silhouette guys. That was well. The second cool. time I fat, the first yeah. time through, I like watched it and I knew what I was getting. Like I didn't skip over. Yeah, one thing <laughs> I thought was fucked up too is he tells her at a certain point where they're near those boxes. That's when they're gonna do their big mm-hmm. throw the pins down on those guys. But uh, he's like, "You stay here," and then he sneaks up to that main control station. I'm like. Get the fuck out of here. Look how many of these dudes are around. And you're telling me you're going to sneak around on the floor and come out and push a couple buttons. And That ain't happening, man. Come on. There was stuff like that. It's like, it just doesn't feel right, man. I also feel like they were too far into the factory to get out of it in time at the end. But Yeah. And, I mean, a lot of that stuff at the end did feel rushed. Like, it was really quick. That whole weird reveal. I mean, it was cool, but it was weird. She's a robot. Okay. Now he runs off and makes the phone calls to the stations. It doesn't work out. Now, one last time, though, I do want to say one last time. Yeah. For as much as I shit on this movie, if you've never seen it, watch it at least once. Yes, do yourself somewhat of a favor and watch it. I'm like, I don't mean to shit on it either, but it's not a bad film. Like, it's not a complete disaster. It's entertaining. It shouldn't have been a part of the Halloween franchise if they were going to do an anthology. This one pushed it, man. This is another one. Like, I I mentioned before that, like, one of these days we're going to hit a movie that we genuinely don't like. This one pushed it, but no, 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 no. I do like this movie. There's just a lot of fucking problems with it. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I will say this. The cast, I think the cast is pretty solid at, in times. You know what I mean? Atkins, I like Atkins. He was actually in a Maniac Cop, too. See, I don't like Atkins in this. Like, I've seen him in a couple other things, yeah. but I don't like him in this. I, I understand why he was cast. Deborah Hill wanted him in this film because of his work and Escape from New York and whatever. Oh, and she, I'm super glad he wasn't fucking Riggs. She purposely <laughs> didn't want somebody who was handsome and would not to be the lead. She wanted somebody, I guess, that she was into. <laughs> to she wanted somebody with a stash. But, it, yeah, it was funny, too, because, you know, I mentioned earlier, and you had mentioned, too, like, how much of a womanizer he was. It's like, man, that's, he was the poon chaser. That's yeah. what he was in this film. That wouldn't fly today. You know what? I want to say overall, not only should you watch this once, even with as much as I shit on it, Yeah, I'm glad we got called out on it and we had to rewatch it. Now I understand why people do like it and I understand why people shit on it too. I'm kind of like sitting on the fence still. It's like, I'm not going to choose either side. It's like, there's parts of it I really do enjoy. There's parts of it where it's like, really... Here's my problem with it, is like, I do consider this a so bad it's good movie, especially once you start to introduce the campy elements towards the middle. Like, it gets fun. Parts of it almost reminded me of like Texas Chainsaw 2. But that's my biggest problem. Like, just a couple episodes ago, or it feels like a couple episodes ago, it was probably a little bit longer ago than that, we did Sleepaway Camp. Which, if you're going to watch a movie in this category, then watch Sleepaway Camp. First, I would I least. would highly recommend that one over this or one. Texas Chainsaw Massacre too. Yeah, also gets campy and fun. You know what? We might have just picked out three Halloween movies for you. <laughs> like, <laughs> watch the, all three of those together. Those are better bad good movies. I agree. Not that this one isn't, but out of the ones we've done, this is the lesser, unfortunately. Yeah. I will say this because I am a product of the '80s, and it did harken back that feel of watching an '80s film, like. Even, like, there were certain parts I was like, oh, yeah, I, I totally would have remembered watching this back in the 80s. And just the feel of the chase and the synth score and all that stuff, which is cool. I mean, it's, it's making that come back with a lot of shows and shit and films, the title sequences and mm-hmm. the synth and all that stuff. But outside of that, like I said, I think it's, for me, it would probably be, like, maybe once or twice a year film I'd watch. Maybe. 
Yeah, I kind of wish I wouldn't have had to watch it twice back to back. Yeah, it's one that's it's nice to spread out a little bit over. I'm glad over I watched it once. Yeah, not as glad that I had to watch it twice. Back After to back. I watched it the first time, I was like, "Oh, I can't wait for Tyler to watch this." <laughs> I know, dude. You were so excited, I, dude. I can't blame you. Like I said, I'm glad I watched it once. <laughs> yeah, I was like, "Yes, this is gonna be fun to talk about for all kinds of reasons." Oh, and I had fun. It. Oh, this made for a really fun episode too. I actually it had is. a lot of fun. That's why this. I enjoy this too, because there's gonna be films like you said we'll come across where. We don't necessarily have to agree on a lot of things at all, or whether we like it or not. What? It's what was the other fun. one? There was another one that pushed it for me. Was it Baskin? Because I like Baskin a lot more. There was some of the more. Baskin stuff that was kind of weird because it, it plays on this time loop, and I, I just want to say, like, because Baskin, I remember I was unsure of when I first watched it. The more that I've thought about that movie, the more I like it. The more yeah. that I just really want those guys to have Hellraiser. <laughs> yeah it could have gone in that direction but i understand the concepts behind it i thought it was cool i was thinking about that when i was walking back from the store today i was like god damn it somebody give the fucking baskin people hellraiser <laughs> i mean they probably want to do their own fucking thing and be creators and shit it's just like as a fan i mean and while we're talking about like halloween like mm-hmm. talk about these long-running franchises yeah, halloween dude. hellraiser fucking friday the 13th nightmare on elm street yep. chucky just came Gosh. out with a new one all these long-running ones, at this point in time, have had more down-in-the-dumps than high points. <laughs> that is a known fact. So, I mean, like, as a fan of it, like, I just want to see... Like, I love seeing new stuff. I want somebody to regain the honor of some of these franchises. And yeah. after we watch that, the more I think about it, the more I'm like, these are, like, the perfect fucking cats to re-fucking do this and make it terrible. and f- Not terrible in a bad way, but, like... Mean, yeah. Just this horrible, fucking amazing... The Cenobites under those guys would be fucking terrifying. Oh my gosh, wouldn't it be? There's a lot of things that... Which is cool with crossover subjects, sci-fi and horror and, you know, all these other Mm -hmm. elements. Is that you don't have to stick to one or the other. You can dabble in all of that and still, you know, make something entertaining and original. And It's going to happen. Even if it's, like I said, something a little bit in the future. So we'll see. Maybe as I dwell on this one, I'll end up liking it more, too. Yeah. like I said, it happened with Baskin. I think that's the other one that pushed the limits with me. I think something that you hit a major note on is once you learn a little bit about the fact that this was supposed to be an anthology and have nothing to do with Michael Myers, it was strictly... John Carpenter and Deborah Hill, they were like, we're not going to be involved with this if that's your idea. We did away with Michael Myers in part mm-hmm. But it gave me a little bit, it was like, all right, okay, I can understand maybe where this film is coming from. So I it gives a little bit of backbone. I actually like the idea just it don't, do it, something different. don't do it after you're already two movies in and continue to use them. And name. that's what threw people off, too. Everybody was anticipating Michael Myers in some bit. Every time that you do get some kind of nugget, it's usually on a fucking screen for a second. Or you hear Jamie Lee Curtis's voice. Maybe you can pick it out. And then you get Nancy Keys, who uh, was Annie in the original. But that's it. It's only if you know that stuff. Other than that, it's just like... You could have named it just Season of the Witch or another title. And it would have been all right. I could have seen stuff spawned after that. But it didn't. What it could have been. <laughs> but it didn't. <laughs> I, like, I imagine it was like seven years later, man, when Halloween 4 came out, they were like, the return of Michael Myers. <laughs> they were like, fuck this. I don't know. It was kind of interesting. Somebody made a good note, too. It's like, had it not been for part three, then we probably wouldn't have got like Daniel Harris later on in the series and the return of Jamie Lee Curtis and H2O yeah. and stuff like that. It's interesting, that time frame, too, that it came out in the early 80s 
right before a lot of the sequels to other films came out, even before Nightmare on Elm Street, and Child's Play series, and all that stuff. So it was a kind of a weird film thrown into that time frame, '82. Mm-hmm. I don't have much more to say about this movie, no. especially because I feel like I feel like the more I say, the more it sounds like I'm going to keep shitting on it. But I really didn't feel that no. bad about it. I'll so. put it this way: I appreciate Marquand suggesting this film and letting us revisit it. It's not horrible. I'll put it that way. It's it's entertaining. I had a good time watching it. I look forward to other recommendations, which we have had. Right. We just also have things that we're trying to get planned and done. Yeah. We're trying to squeeze in some stuff. Cool shit before big number for us. We're, we're still ascending, peaking. man. We're still peaking. I'm on my way up. That's not right. Not on my way back down. No. Even if I'm on my way back down, I can just stroke it a little bit more and get it back <laughs> up again. We have so many people to be stroking of outside ourselves. So in order to keep hearing us stroke ourselves... <laughs> Subscribe to us on uh, SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Tune Google right. Play. Follow us on Facebook, on Fried Squirms, Twitters, the Twitters. The Twitters. <laughs> at Fried Squirms. Instagram, Fried Squirms, Squirms podcast. podcast. Email us, squirmcast at gmail.com. We already mentioned our website earlier, but www.friedsquirms.com. Yeah, so we mentioned this. Give us some feedback. If you have recommendations, don't be afraid. Give us a shout out. We'll give you a shout out back. I don't know if we've entirely decided what's happening next week yet, but there is a couple of cards in the deck. Yeah. Please stay tuned. And for this week, I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried Squirms out. Out.